Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally. And it's not because of me. It is because of my incredible guests. And I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they show up here willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. These are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with us the essence of peak performance, and boy, do they. My guest today, Susan Harrow, is a media t- media trainer, marketing strategist, martial artist, and the, I love that, and the author of the best-selling book, Sell Yourself Without Selling Your Soul, on HarperCollins. And she joins us today to pick up where we left off in our last conversation in October of last year. We had too much fun. Seriously, go back and listen to it. So today we are talking about imposter syndrome And honestly, we all suffer from it at at some level. I know I do. And Susan says that we can embrace self-doubt and transform it into a superpower. I am ready, and I'm going to warn you right now in the green room, I gave her permission to use me as a case study. I may cry. Susan, welcome back to your partner in Success Radio. It's such a pleasure. And we are companions in that because I I have it too. And, And crazily, when I was researching this, um, the statistics were all over the place. Up to 90% of people have it, men and women included. But I think it's more conclusive, the studies from KPMG that find 75% of female executives, and this is across all industries, have experienced imposter syndrome in their careers. And so while I think it's – I want to just – create, you know, sort of frame the big picture, but also to say self-doubt is natural and imposter syndrome is natural, especially when we're moving to the next level. But what's not natural and not necessary is staying in that place where we're thinking that we're less than or compare and despair. And in the big picture, I think we need a quantum shift and change in consciousness. And it's not just for ourselves but in corporations, in the patriarchy at large, and then generationally in our families, to not exclude anyone or to make those that are perceived as other to feel unwelcome or that like they don't belong and not being beholden to the small self, but looking toward the expanded self that includes all people and beings in all dimensions. And what that means is that it starts with us. You know, so we we can't look right now for the culture of the patriarchy to change because that's going to be very slow. So we are working within those systems. So what can each individual of us do to shift ourselves? And then by shifting ourselves, we uplift and sh- and shift others. And and I wanted to. I just heard an example, Denise, on another podcast of a story of. Um, Bali, which is one of my favorite places on earth, Bali, where there were homeless people who they, I think they called them beggars, that they were going up to tourists and asking for money. And the tourists weren't giving them money. And then a woman on the beach saw that there was lots of trash and stuff on the beach in Bali. And Bali, you know, they don't have a way, by the way, of disposing of their 
of their garbage. They like burn it by the side of the road. So there was all this trash on the beach. And she organized all the, the people, the homeless people who were looking for money, and they gathered up all of the trash and then went back to the tourists, and then the tourists gave them money. So they were working collectively and working collectively and thinking collectively, I think, can then raise others and, and sort of shape the new, you know, sort of shape the next generation for all of us. And, you know, and I love that about Bali. I didn't know that. But you, this is why I do this podcast, because I can learn from people like you, my audience can learn from people like you and then we can go to our immediate people who are like oh you know did you know this did you hear about this have you thought about this have you tried this and it's just a great way to kind of get into the collective consciousness if you will by showing up and helping other people so why do i have imposter syndrome beats well that you shit out of me robin because you have you're an ambitious woman, and I think it's really natural. And I think the first thing to do is to transform it to a if we can look at it as a superpower instead, and instead, of, and also Denise, not to glorify it, because I think that there's a lot of information on the web where people are almost bragging about having imposter syndrome. So it's a way, it's like a badge of honor to say, like, I have this too, and this is the sort of bad part of me, and and here's what happened to me. And instead of sharing the how we feel less than, to start really thinking about how people of all genders and ethnicities and sensibilities can let go of imposter syndrome within the culture that we live. And the first thing, I think, is to establish who you want to become. And what, what does that entail? I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an amazing person, and um, she changed her name. And she, I knew her when she had her other name, too. And she said, your name is a spell that's cast when you're born. And her, for her name, which was um, Deja, meant sorrow and dread. And she changed it to um, Ajea, which means to victorious and all-loving. And then her whole life changed. And so when she was changing her name, this might sound crazy, but she was asking the question, what is the name through, what is my name throughout space and time? And she kept asking herself that question until she, you know, heard that the, in a booming voice, Ajea. And then that's really looking at, like, if we are looking at there's no space and time, like, who do you really want to be? And the question to ask yourself every time you think you don't measure up or you don't think you're good enough um, or you think that you have to be other than you are, because there's so much pressure. We all feel that. And I think now if we're on social media and all that, we feel it even more, the compare and despair. But practically speaking, to actually write down the qualities that you wish that you have in every area of your personal and professional life, and then give yourself credit, begin to notice the moments when you exhibit and then inhabit them. And then even make mental notes and write down. I was just cleaning out my files, by the way, over the weekend, over the whole week. It actually took me a week to get through, like, all of my paper files, um, you know. And I found my marvelous me, uh, my marvelous me file. Everyone, anyone who had written me a thank you note or been to any of my talks or my workshops or my personal clients, and lots of them I didn't even remember. I started reading them. So, 
create that marvelous me um, file so you have a record of your progress. This builds internal fortitude. Now that said, I, I don't. I, a lot of people who are talking about in, imposter syndrome look to their accomplishments or look outside themselves. And what I'm suggesting is to look inside yourself and not base what how your worth on your accomplishments because then we'll never um, we'll never be able to let go of imposter syndrome if we do that. However, if we base it on our internal, how we are, are we kind to others? Are we compassionate, empathetic? Do we act kindly? Are we helpful? And I came across a quote by, from Lee Jampolsky who recommends, and this is a lot, I, haven't, I admit I haven't done this, but at least three times a day, every day, take a moment and ask yourself what is really important. Have the wisdom and the courage to build your life around your answer. I really love that. So I've really been thinking much more intentionally about my life. You know, I usually do a daily examination, but to me, like actually checking in three times a day, that would be a goal. Like, am I living into who I want to be? I'm scribbling like crazy. I've got a pink, <laughs> and it's bright pink, so I will not lose it index card. And I'm going to need another 10 of these things. I've got them. <laughs> I'm covered. I've got it. But something you said is it, just so important that, you know, we're in I love, love, love the Marvelous Me file. I'm creating one today because, listen, I come across, you know, things that people will say to me about my podcast or during my podcast. I'm like, why didn't I grab that at the moment and just mm-hmm. sit in with it and hug it? You know, I said, yeah. oh, great, thank you, and off I went. That is the wrong thing to do. Trust me. Well, there's also statistics. Um, I don't have them at my fingertips, but it was something like um, it takes 10 compliments before we absorb something good, where if somebody makes a negative response to us, it goes right to the heart and we, and we keep it, we, we, we nurture it, we go back to it, we, we almost cherish it, right? But when, but when someone gives us a compliment, we usually brush it off. So if you can make it that great practice, like when anyone says anything wonderful to you, to let it in, to embrace it, and then, yeah, write it down and, and, um, and put it on your website because so many things, you know, people love your podcast and are saying great things. And so all those wonderful things that people say off the cuff, put them up on your website or put them in that marvelous me file. So when you're feeling low or feeling less than, which we all have those days. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I even like question my calling. Like, is this my calling? And I'm thinking, and then, you know, usually an email will pop in up someone that I don't know, someone on my easing list or someone who had taken a course um, or, you know, a long time ago or heard me speak, you know, 20 years ago, pops in typically saying something about how I helped them in some way or shifted something in them. But if we have those at the ready, you know, we can't count on getting the email at that moment. I think that we can then not rest in that um, place of thinking that we need to be better, more, whatever, different. Gotcha. Well, you said something earlier, and then I I got distracted by my really pretty pink index card. (laughs) I use these things like crazy. You ought to see them. It's bright pink. Um, The thing is that you you had mentioned earlier that you're hearing a lot about people just almost being proud of their imposter syndrome. 
it worries the heck out of me on my own because I'm like, geez, you know, how much, how many more minutes, hours, days do we have? You know, words are magic. Why are we not using them? But I, when you started talking about that, all I could think was, well, we've got this whole thing going on on the internet these days. Everybody has to be authentic. Yes, words and no. are magic. Was the first, you know, abracadabra? What we say, we bring into being. We're and magic. That's exactly right. We're magic, and words are the ambassadors of our spirit. But our presence is also the ambassadors of our spirit, who we are. And another thing that we can do, which would be number two, is to really micromanage your mind, which is in the moment when you compare despair or whatever, whatever brings up that um, imposter syndrome in you. Sometimes it's for accomplished people like yourself, it's speaking on a panel with prestigious people or people you've had on maybe on your podcast who have an impressive presence or daunting accomplishments, best-selling books, huge wealth, whatever it is for you, whatever those triggers are for you, to notice that thought and let it pass through like a gentle mist. And instead of staying in the feeling of jealousy or less than or whatever that feeling is, replace it with a generous thought about the person who's triggered you or a generous thought. It's a little harder to do, but a generous thought about yourself because research confirms that this will instantly make you feel good and then your energy is then reflected to others. So if you are in a public venue, people pick up on that. I mean, it's, we, we, are, we are primal animals. So we do notice those kinds of shifts in energy, whether we register exactly what they are or not. Just like, you know, you when we see somebody walk into a room that has like a glowing presence or has that kind of confidence, we all know it, right? So we're all reading each other. And then um, I think one other thing is to not, you know, especially now that we're in New Year's and have these resolutions, we want to make these big leaps, right? We want to make big leaps forward. It's like when you want the, the most Obvious thing is people wanting to go to the gym and, you know, going from no exercise to hours of exercise and then you're sore and never want to do it again. So moving toward is taking the smallest increment, meaning um, studies show that the mind rejects affirmations because we don't believe it. So we can't say, you know, I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm bold, I'm great. If, if we, it's too big of a thing. So when you are, when you want to move toward a, a, a different quality, you can state that with sentences that begin with, you know, I don't know how, because if you did know how, you, you would have done it. And then you can follow it by something like, I'm becoming, I don't know how I'm becoming more confident each day, or I don't know how I feel good in my own skin, um, or or even asking it as a question, how, how will I get more um, comfortable expressing my ideas on, on national TV. How will I, how will I, right. how will I, how can I be more comfortable on the next podcast that I'm on? Exactly. Um, I like asking the questions and I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. You're on a cell phone, I think, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but it happened no because of that slight delay. But for me, speaking out loud, I live alone. I can get by with it. I talk to the cupboards. I talk to the cats. I talk to the trees. I talk to everybody. But the thing is, when I'm saying it out loud, I know good and well somebody or something is hearing me, and I'm going to get answers. So I'm trying to be, and I'm a lot more cognizant of how I ask questions out loud and what I'm asking for, because I know I am being listened to, even if it's just me. 
somebody is listening. Yeah, and even asking what is my next step or how can right. I navigate this more more gracefully. I love the word, you know, grace. I'm always I'm always looking to be more graceful. And I know when I work with clients and, you know, particularly women, men too, my, my men clients can confess about imposter syndrome, especially I have one who's like super accomplished, multimillionaire, super effective, but moving it a little bit into a different field. And he's like, I have imposter syndrome. And I'm like, well, say more about what that means. Like, what, what are you thinking? He's like, you know, I don't know this field like I know my other field. And I said, yes. And let's look at the same things that brought you success in your current field that you have that you are using to open up this new industry and that you already have that knowledge it's just a new it's a new venture or new direction and when we made that bridge um it's not that that's never going to come up again for him too but he he could really see like oh you know yeah I am an expert in this area too it's just his knowledge base and experience wasn't that deep. So I think when we're in new ventures to, to um, look back and say, what is the, what is it? You know, where am I competent? Because competent breeds competence. And, and then, oh, I have another client who was just telling me, um, she came to me for confidence and she's already a brilliant speaker. It's because women are, you know, I think the difference between women and men too, and this is some statistical evidence, is that even when when women have imposter syndrome, they don't act as much. They don't take action and move forward for what they want. Well, men do. So men have the imposter syndrome, but they still move forward. And so that's something that we women can say, well, I have this, but let me just go forward anyway. Um, you know, when some of my clients in the real estate investment industry, they're like, you know, men will go ahead and, and buy the building, you know, and, and we hem and haw, and then the opportunity leaves. So, uh, and, you know, and these women are multimillionaires too and super successful in every area. Families are buffed, everything, and, and they and, and I was speaking to a group of them, and they all had, most of them had imposter syndrome. And it, took, it, was a, it, was a, it was a group where you had to have already earned a million dollars to even be there. And they were all, like, hyper successful and fantastic, you know, amazing women in, like, all areas. And I wasn't shocked by that, but, but I was kind of shocked at the extent of it. But they were talking about that um, they would lose those opportunities because, um, men would take them and they wouldn't. And so that is one thing that, that we can we can take. But my client, um, the super accomplished client, when we started working together and she had some of the, the lack of lack or lost confidence, which is also a sign of imposter syndrome, like I'm you know, I don't have confident any confidence anymore. Um, when we we wrapped up for the year, she's like, I don't even think about the confidence thing anymore. She's like, I'm already moving on and trying to now, as I do media appearances and speaking engagements, look to refine what I'm saying to bring in the kind of clients and customers and uh, people in my workshops that I want. So now I'm working on more refining the messages versus refining myself in that regard. And I love that she had that shift out of um, not being the self-conscious person and worrying about, um, you know, how she didn't measure up or that she wasn't performing at the super top, which she already was anyway. Does that make sense? It does. So basically that was a pro move. She defined 
her purpose and what she was presenting and why and how to bring people to her. It's a pro move, yeah. no question. Yeah, and that, that just fell to the background, which, which is what I love. She's like, you know, that's not really the issue anymore. Now we're working on something else. And, and so what she came to me for, we accomplished, and then she was able to go to that next level of her career and her professionalism and expanding herself and her business into other areas. So, so it can happen. I want to say it can happen for each of us, you know, and it can happen, you know, sometimes it happens, you know, we all want it to happen super fast, right? But sometimes it happens in increments or through the practice of it. So I think that's the super important thing is that practice. That's why we were talking about micromanaging your mind because you're thinking it's moment to moment. It really is moment to moment. And then you find, oh, this is coming up less. It's not that it won't come up at all to not even expect that because it's natural, you know, to come up or we're, we're triggered by old traumas or old experiences. So the point is that when it comes up and we're triggered, it's how we deal with it in that, in that moment. So am, am I hearing you right when, you, when it, you're triggered and it shows up in that moment? Should we stop? I do. I, I'm trying to be more aware of this, but should we stop and just whatever we're doing, and just take a moment to micromanage and to think about it and to say, okay, I maybe can't do anything about this at this moment, but it's going on my list and I'm going to deal with it in my next, um, you know, those three times where you're, Lee Poulos, is that who you said it was, Lee? By Jim Polsky. Jim, okay, never mind. I don't know who that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I'll go yeah. find it. But and I love what you're saying about micromanaging. So I'm thinking, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you need to just go, oh, I'll worry about that later. Can't. Got to, you have I to take care of it now, I think. About it. I'm, I'm suggesting that you let it go in the moment and shift your thought in this very moment and shift it to, just like, okay, Denise, you know, we, we, I have a practice where, especially when I'm super crabby, like waiting in line at groceries or something, and I think, crappy things about the person in front of me and I go, you know, why are they so slow and, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. And I make it a practice in that moment to stop and to, I hear my negative thoughts toward person or, you know, somebody said something nasty, whatever that is. I stop in that moment and I, and I, and I say to myself, what good can I see in that person? Because we all have a, a deep essential goodness. Right. And so even if it's superficial, I will I will I will challenge myself to say something good about that. Think something good about that person. Oh, they have a, they have graceful hands or they are caring toward their children or they said a nice hello to the checker, uh, whatever it is. So it's actually in that moment to shift it and to like shift out of the negative. And then usually, you know, because you're focusing your attention on them, they turn around and smile. Right. We've all right. had that yeah, right. so it's shifting your energy in the moment, every moment. So you see, you you hear your negative thought, and you take a breath, and you consciously say, you know, if it's going to shift into the quality that you want, or that you that you said, you know, either you thought a negative thought towards someone else, or to a situation, or you know, you're challenged in a meeting, and someone has has cut you down to stop, take that breath. And you can, you know, if you can think of a kind thought toward that person or toward something that's happening in the moment, oh, you know, um, 
you know, like women in meetings, um, you know, Deborah Tannen came up with this research a long time ago when one of the ways that men prove competence in a meeting is to try to challenge you or topple you. And as women, we were not used to um, taking, taking that. And so if we look at it as they're trying to bring out the best in me to show, so I can prove myself or my point versus they're trying to tear me down. So it's a different perspective. You know, it's a different, it's a different perspective. It is. And I haven't yeah. thought of it like and, that. Yeah. And say, what can I, what can I do to step up and answer this question? So, um, so I can mm-hmm. shift their consciousness or influence or perception or whatever that is, instead of taking it personally and going like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm talking about. And they can see that I don't know what I'm yeah. talking about. And that's probably a stupid point. Right. So those are the kinds of things that, and we might have the first reaction to be like, Oh my God, I'm so stupid. Or they're right. I, I, that was like not a well, well presented point. And then that's to let that go. And then in that next moment, how can I present this point more effectively? Or how can I stand up? How can I take a breath and, and feel my feet on the ground and feel um, like I belong here. And that's a biggie. And listen, me being me, if somebody, you know, got a little bit nasty with me in a meeting and it has (laughs) happened, sure, I get very, very quiet. And when I get very, very quiet, I start to use big words and I speak very slowly and very concisely. And you may want to move to another zip code at least for the next hour. I, I don't take it well. That sounds really scary. It's, uh, it's often the quiet thing that's actually yeah. worse. Don't mess with us. Than, yeah. the, than the outburst, right? Because you're like, right. Hey, you yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't want to throw coffee on somebody. You just That's just rude. But and you're right, and you go back. You said something so important, you know, where we could just go. Oh gosh, I shouldn't be here. Listen, I am a podcast host. I've been doing this for 15 years. I still don't know how to explain what I do. I don't. I, it's just like, why am I doing it? Well, I get to meet fantastic people. I am an introvert, so you know, this is how I meet and you know, get to know people who can, you know, be my mentor of some kind just by listening and learning from your mentor of mine. And I've told you oh, this before, you. and you will always be. I find your work fascinating. But, you know, I'm there's so many things that I know I can offer outside of just picking up the phone or plugging in my microphone, and I've been working on it for a year, and I'm not done with it and I'm here's the new year and I don't do resolutions I don't believe them I set goals resolutions are just made to be broken we all know that's been proven but here we are in the new year and whether I'm going to set resolutions or not I have set goals and I missed my goals so I started out with the first of the year which we're still in just totally mad at myself Oh, that, you know, yeah. there's a bit of a, there's a lot of imposter syndrome going on in there. I'll tell yeah. you right now. I think it's really hard when we set goals for ourselves and then we don't meet them to not be disappointed in ourselves. I, I think that that's, yep. that's a huge stretch. And and can we still look at okay, I didn't reach that goal, but look at all of the goals that I did. And that's not saying that's not a mamsy pamsy thing to do, like like, you know, Susie Sunbright. It's really about like 
I think looking at like, where's the gap and how can I reach the goal? And to put it in a perspective, like here are all the things that I did. I missed this one. And can I take steps to reach it in the new year and bridge that and, and keep in mind your deepest intention. Like how important is that goal in your overall of who you want to be and the, your deepest intention of what you want to create here on this earth with the time that you have? And maybe put that goal in a perspective for that too. Because I, I, I'm with you too, Denise, in that. Um, I remember interviewing Steve, Stephen Shapiro who has a book called, you should probably interview him, by the way. He's, like, he's got a book um, that was on the cover of Oprah way long time ago called Goal Free Living. It's a really fascinating book. And it was more about... Um, uh, to, this doesn't do it justice, but to ask, you know, keep asking, what is my next step? But also um, really look at where's your curiosity leading you? Like, where are you being led? And that can kind of, I think, lessen disappointment where if we're like, let's imagine you have all of these goals, but you've been led another direction, Denise, that's really important and that's, and that's worthy, you know? And those are the kinds of things I think to look for and go, well, what did I accomplish and, and how can I get closer to the other things that are really important to me? And you see, this is why I wanted you to be one of my first guests of the new year. My blood pressure is already lowering. Oh, good. I'm looking at my smartwatch going, oh, good job. <laughs> Let's keep her on for the rest of the day. I may need her. <laughs> it's just, but it's it's great, and I would love for you to introduce me to him if you could. Um, I will. Oh, thank you. Listen, the thing, and I don't want to just ratchet on about imposter syndrome because I think it is important. It's an important topic, but what you're sharing with us here, and with me in particular, whether you meant to or not, is to stop wallowing in it, because we all do. We may take a moment or we may take an entire week and just, I haven't done this, but I've heard of people who have done this, where they just get on the TV, you know, lay on the couch and watch TV. I could lay on the couch and read books. That's different. I'm learning something. But but the thing, you know, we we all, it it grips us, it attacks us, it slides by us. It's it's always ever-present there. But what you're telling me and what I'm hearing from you is, to how to do something about it. Don't wallow in it. Don't just go, really, Denise? You, The whole year is gone and you're still only three quarters of the way with all this work you've got. And I yeah. just realized, I got three quarters of the way through it. What the heck am I complaining about? Well, also, um, give, your, give yourself a chance to wallow. Like, if you need to wallow, wallow. Like, I remember <laughs> I... Um, there was a guy that I was dating long ago because, you know, I've been with my sweetie for 20 years, but um, it was a really hard, it was a really kind of wild and tumultuous thing. And I thought I was just crying all the time. I go, I would say to myself, I lived in San Francisco at the time and I'm like, you get an hour to cry and then about boo-hoo-hooing about your relationship and then you got to get out and then I was, I would run for five miles, right? I'm like, you can cry for an hour and then you got to go do your run. And of course that would increase my endorphins and make me feel better and stuff. But I gave myself the hour, like every day, like you can cry for an hour. So whatever you need, like if you do need to wallow privately, you know, wallow, write it all down, get it all out, whatever you need to do. So I, I, I would still encourage private wallowing versus 
public wallowing because you don't want to get positive reinforcement for your wallowing necessarily. It's about letting the wallowing go so you can move on to what to what you want. But I think that it's important to honor how we're feeling and and to and to actually to accept that disappointment. Like you are disappointed in yourself and that's natural and that's and 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 you know, you want to be in a place and you're not there and to really give yourself time to grieve that too. Like, you know, I think that's I do the that word. To I was it. looking for that as part of what you're describing as part of the grieving process, whether you've yeah. lost a spouse or a parent, a sibling, I've lost all of them, a pet, mm-hmm. much loved pets, all of yeah. them. Yeah. And you do have to sometimes wallow in it. But what you said is so important is that you then take that time, you kind of schedule it if you have to, or just go with it in the moment, not in the car, no, don't scream and cry while you're driving. Been there, done that. Um but but the thing is, you have to, what you just said is you compare and contrast. You say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and deal with this now and live with it, you know, talk to it, write about it. But then I'm going to go do something that will bring me back up. With you, it's exercise. For me, it's cooking or going outside with the yeah. dog. Yeah, there's, there's always something. So you compare and contrast, but you don't just, and I wrote this down, you don't just hang around in the wallowing. I love that word. But you find something to offset it that's going to make your brain feel better and clearer and just make you stand up straighter. I think that's so true. I mean, when I started Aikido, you know, um, Japanese martial arts, I, I was used to being, um, you know, um, I've been a ranked tennis player. I've been, uh, you know, teaching at, at in North Star and Tahoe at tennis camps you know, national tennis camps. Um, I was used to being an athlete. And when I went to Aikido, I was, um, I was worst in class, really, like so horrible and so uncoordinated. And it's like, and I, and it was, it seemed really hopeless. And every, I mean, every time I was on that mat, I would want to cry. The, the sensei, our teacher would demonstrate something. And I would think like, there's no way I can do this. You know, I would, I remember like trying to, there were so many moving parts in Aikido that I would, one, watch his feet, one one time when he demonstrated, I'd watch his feet, the next time I'd watch his arms, the next time I'd watch his body, and then try to put it all together. And by the time we were to practice with another person, I'd forgotten it all, you know, each time. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do. And I would want to cry, but I would never cry on the mat. But when I got to my car every single night, I cried. I'm like, I am so clumsy. I'll never learn this. I want to do this so bad. I'm the worst in class. And, um, you know, am I ever, ever, ever going to, like, improvement didn't even seem possible. But every night, four nights a week for two hours, I would go and train. And so at some point, there was small improvement. (laughs) You know, it wasn't a lot either. It was small improvement after small improvement. And then after eight years, I got my black belt. Am I am I graceful and beautiful and do Aikido? No, it's not. It's not pretty. Um, am I a semi competent black belt? Kind of, but you know that just means that when when you get your black belt, it just means that you. I'm sort of, and it actually means in Aikido that you are now teachable. When you when you get your first degree black belt, you are now considered teachable. But the point is, and it's the same with media appearances, is that kind of ongoing practice and iteration. So when my clients come to me, I was just 
of chatting with um, my assistant the other day and telling her that I had a client, like never underestimate the capabilities of anyone. I had a client, she was so boring. She was really talented, had gotten honors and, and had been re- really well respected in her community. But she was such a boring storyteller. And I thought, oh my gosh, am I ever going to be able to work with her to the point where she will be ready for media and, and podcasts and things like that? And, and I didn't know, but we worked together and all of a sudden at, at month three, she became a brilliant storyteller. I thought, WTF? Like, how did that happen? How do you go from being like so boring and monotone to being brilliant? And it was through that practice and iteration that where we were making small changes each time and like refining her messaging that she made a shift. Did she make a shift at month two? You know, she made tiny shifts, but there was like a major shift. So we don't ever know how it's going to turn out. Like sometimes some people make incremental progress and, and improve a little by little by little by little. And other people make progress where they don't improve and then all of a sudden there's a giant there's a giant change and some people are in between and we just don't know who we are for the specific thing that we're trying to accomplish. Like for you, your goal, like maybe you didn't get it for the whole year, but maybe in a week it'll, it'll happen. Maybe three months, maybe not till next year. We don't know, but if you keep at it and, and keep practicing and keeping moving toward it's possible. And that's the important part of what you're saying, that you have to keep at it. Listen, yeah. I I would never, you know, be in martial arts. I'd get my butt clobbered every single day. <laughs> I've got, I don't dance because I don't have any rhythm. I don't have any depth perception. So, you know, I've, got, I've already got problems there. Well, that's there. me, you know. That's oh, me. Geez. I, I can go. Yeah. But, you know, you did it. And the whole time you were talking about it, I was thinking, why did she keep going? I mean, it wouldn't have taken very long before I despaired entirely of it. So I'm going to go do something different. You know but why? You it brought stuck me so much joy. It. it brought me so much joy, and and my teacher was like such a paragon of, you know, just where I wanted to be of in grace and humor, and I mean, just really funny. And um, and he would see my face where he would demonstrate something. And I'd be thinking to myself, I need to run to the bathroom because I'm going to cry, right? And I will not cry on the mat because I thought, I can't do this. And he would look at me and he said, courage, Susan. He would like see, he would see it on my face. Like, cause I'm like, oh my God, am I going to need to leave the mat and run to the bathroom? Cause I, I'm like, I can't do this. And I would think that like at least once a week on the mat, I'm thinking he just demonstrated it. I'm so afraid I can't do it, but I would do it. You know, I would I would try it. He'd come over. He would help me. People were so kind. Um, could I do it well? No, but but could I bumble my way through it? Yes. And then like one out of a hundred, one out of a hundred throws would feel miraculous. And he'd go, remember that. Remember the feeling in your body. What did that feel like? And that's the same thing in media training. I say to people, well, what did that feel like? You know, how did that feel? What remember what worked, and do more of it. And that and that's how we build that mental and muscle memory, whether it's media appearances or, you know, getting prepared, getting prepared for that, or whether it's Aikido on the mat and to, to take those learnings from 
other disciplines too, to whatever's hard for you. The other thing that we would do in Aikido is like you might be better on, you'd be better on one side than the other. And sometimes it was on my left side and I'm right handed. So some throws were easier on my left. And he would say, let that, let one side inform the other. So it's like you're taking what you know and what you're good at and expanding it. So you, um, so the, uh, the parts of you that aren't, that you don't think are up to snuff can learn from the other parts of you that are already whole and that you already are happy with. So we can do that within our own bodies, you know, within our right, own right. mind too. It's like, where do I feel confident? Where do I feel good about myself? I remember even in a Pilates class, like um, our, oh my God, our instructor had the best butt ever, ever. We all wanted Annabelle's butt, right? Like, but no, none of us were going to get it. I mean, she had this incredible butt, but we all worked in Pilates to get a butt like Annabelle's, right? And she said to us one day, like, what part of your body do you like about yourself? Like, what's your favorite part? And she asked me, I'm like, my collarbones. I have really great collarbones, right? So it's even picking out that part, you know, that, and how can I expand that? Like, can I, is there another part, you know, can I like my eyelashes, you know, just like starting like super small with those kinds of things instead of like, oh, I feel good about my body. Like that's just too big. You know, feeling good about it, right? Like sometimes, especially for women, like that's too big, but is there a part that you like? Is it your big toe? Is it your nail beds? Whatever that small thing is, can you look at that and expand that? And I think we can do that with the qualities in ourselves as well, right? Oh, that is too funny. For me, it's my legs. I've had people go, oh, my God, where did you Ooh. get your legs? Nordstrom, yes. these are not Walmart legs. <laughs> I just laugh and keep on going. <laughs> she says, I got them from my mama. She had the best legs. <laughs> but, but you just never know. But you you were saying something. We, you and I had talked about something oh, a long time ago, but how we can use a martial arts technique, which you're just talking about, to ratchet up our power in a microsecond. And I think you answered it without me having to ask it when you talked about him saying to you, courage. What yeah, did you like? What What do you remember? Yeah, the other thing that I was thinking of is on the Aikido floor, one of the things that we uh, want to do before we even enter the mat is expand our chi, expand our energy. It's called chi, prana, whatever you want to call it. Expand your energy in all directions, top to bottom, side to side, um, inside out, every dimension of your body. Sometimes we don't think about when we expand our energy, actually side to side, back to front, top to bottom. But we want to do that before we ever approach the opponent or whatever, before we ever make the grab. Like oftentimes in Aikido, we're either striking someone with our hand or we're, we're grabbing a wrist or whatever that is. So to expand your key, to expand in all directions, so you're like a body of light, you're golden, before you enter a room or a meeting or a podcast, whatever that is. So it's an imaginative exercise, but it actually really is physical when you practice it. And one of the things that I actually practice is expanding my key, not just for, to the person in front of me, but sometimes when I'm walking, I'll try to expand it all the way to the end of the block or all the way. Lately, I've been practicing in bed to, as I'm going to sleep to expand it all the way to the end of the street in our neighborhood. Like, can I expand in all directions all the way out to the street? Like, can I just poof my energy 
in a second like that. And when you start to practice expanding your energy in any second, you um, people perceive that too that you're that you're full that you're um, you know that you that you're golden that you have this capacity with within you. So that's something to practice on a daily basis and to you can do it with your breath too because in Aikido we use our breath and we we actually do breath throws so you're actually throwing someone mostly using your breath and as the founder of Aikido um, got older I mean he was like 411 and he said you know I'm turning more and more into a woman but his he he was using less and less strength and more and more energy in the throw so it actually looks invisible when he throws someone you can't even see what he's doing there's so little effort because it's all done through energy and the more we can become that energetic being and doing less and really working on our presence the more we have that capacity and the more people perceive us as um as who who you know who we really are and as confident and competent beings so um like my one client that i was telling you about like she doesn't get she doesn't get um called on for like people don't try to demean or diminish her typically because she's got this kind of energy that she's worked on that people don't F with her, you know? Um, And, and I think that's something that we can all practice particularly as women. And I love what Shonda Rhimes, Shonda Rhimes who created, um, we're just in the middle of watching Grey's Anatomy, but, she created scandal and she's just a brilliant writer, right? She said, I never, I never felt I didn't belong in any room. So even in college and at Dartmouth and, and then in Hollywood, she, as, as the only woman of color, woman and woman of color in a room with all white men, she said, I never felt I didn't belong. And so people tr- treated her as such that she belonged because if you if you imagine yourself that you belong everywhere then that's how people pick up on that energy of yours that's true they do okay so i wanted to ask you and we were talking about daily practices and we'll go over those again at the end because i think they're important but and you just brought up something else i've got notes all over you got to see my notes I wanted to ask you because you (laughs) take a picture of them. Uh, And Pink, one of my notes was I wanted to ask you if you could share three ways people of all genders and ethnicities and sensibilities can let go of imposter syndrome. And what you just said about Shonda Rhimes is really important. And you said there's Mm -hmm. three ways. So share. So the three ways were to establish who you want to become, um, and uh, micromanage your mind and then move toward. And if we need some more, I would really actually say um, one that I just heard Quinta Brunson, who's the creator of the and uh, creator of the new comedy series Abbott Elementary. She was in. I just watched this super short video. She was talking to Oprah, and she Oprah asked her, "What's the most important question women women should be asking themselves?" But I think it goes for all people. Um, I think it applies to everyone. And she says, um, do I like myself when I'm by myself? 
not paying attention to what others are thinking or saying. And she said, this is the secret key to freedom for a woman. And then, of course, to change whatever it is that you don't like, to work on that change. But I really loved that because because we live in this time where there is so much um, vulgar vulnerability and faux fame and oversharing that starting to really focus on that 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 question do do I like myself when I'm by myself and what do I like about myself we we have a 16 year old Fiona who comes and helps us in the garden she's so amazing <laughs> she's like got the most confidence she's like six feet tall and um terrified of bugs and dirt and all the stuff because she's like singing opera and teaching herself korean and she's like a, a super super star um in overachiever and, and 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 she's been an amazing learner in our garden and i had asked her like she's like I'm the only one of my of my friends who like isn't depressed and doesn't have anxiety and of course they have stress but I just study and you know get good grades and she just got into Pomona her top choice yay she just told us last weekend she got into her top choice um, so she's she's a hyper overachiever um, but I said you know well, what's your secret to happiness and she said I don't do things I don't like that I don't have to. Um, I focus on what I really, what's important to me of what I want to achieve. And we were just having a discussion, Denise, she's 16. Well, actually, she's 17 now. Um, I guess she's 17 now. Yeah, she just turned 17. She's been working with us for um, uh, over a year. So we're going on year two. And she said, um, you know, when I said, are you going to be roommates? She has one friend who's going to go to Pomona at the same time. I go, so are you going to be roommates? She goes, I don't think so. She said, I really want to meet new people. I really want that to be the focus. And she said, um, you know, I have one friend who like, has really bad home life and is really boring and doesn't uplift me. And I don't want to have friends like that. Is that being selfish? I said, no, I don't think so. She said, I want friends who uplift me, who I can learn from, who resonate with me, who have the same values. She said, is that being selfish? I said, no. I said, I think that's being really smart to surround yourself with people who, who help you become who you want to become and who you enjoy being with. Um, so I think that's part of it, too, in our whole lifestyle is to, you know, be around, surround ourselves with people, our thoughts that make us feel like better people or help us move toward um, – you know, our better selves, who we perceive ourselves to be. You know, even in, like, my dad, who's passed on, my brother and I were talking about that our dad, our, our, my mom too, but, um, but our dad really taught us that empathy and kindness toward others. And, you know, someone put him through Cornell, and he now puts, you know, he has – but I don't know how many um, students through Cornell too, because someone was generous toward toward him. So I think this this um, this kind of generosity of spirit is really important, and surrounding ourselves with thoughts and people that move us toward what our deepest intentions are and how we want to serve and be in the world is is at the core. Listen, water seeks its own level. Really. If you're going to be hanging around with people who are whiny, criny, cry, the other broke all the time, 
point, yeah, it's a new word. I just made it up. <laughs> but, apparently. I do that a lot. But, you know, I, like like your friend, God bless her, 16 years old. Oh, my God, she's right? an astonishing person at any age. Yes. But the thing is, if you're going to hang around with people who bring nothing to your table and you can't help them for whatever reasons they're not going to listen or it's just their personality, or they're just not your people, move on. Move on kindly, with compassion, but move on. You're not helping them, and you're sure not helping yourself. That's right. That's right. And and I love her, too, because she's willing to try new things. Like, she always wears gloves. I don't like to wear gloves in the garden. I like to feel my hands in the dirt. And I, we were doing some plantings, and I was digging with my hands, and she goes... Um, you know, because she doesn't really like to get dirty. She's covered head to toe. You know, it's like it's hard not to get dirty in the garden. Um, but she's wearing gloves, and then she goes, you know, um, I'm like, if I could try to take my gloves off, and I'm like, well, if that's what you want to do, you know, give it, give it a try. And so she took off her gloves and started, you know, putting her hands in the dirt, and she's like, oh gosh, this feels really good. And I think and I'm like, yeah. It's you know it's really good to get your hands in the dirt and feel the dirt. You just you know wash you know wash later, um, but that kind of experimentation I think is really and in in media training that's what we do. It's experimentation. It's play. It's when you know when we're creating stories, we're preparing for podcasts like this. It's like creating those stories, but like playing with different different taking your gloves off, putting your hands in the dirt playing with different variations of a story or a point that leads you to sort of open your mind to and lead you to new to new places. Right? Exactly. So it's, it's yeah. So, listen, thing, going back to your girl, tell her to put her feet in the dirt. Yeah. I am constantly in my backyard, constantly. And it, listen, I'm in the deep south. We have two seasons hot, hotter than hell, and the mud season <laughs> takes up most of those seasons. And it's always wet. It really is. I mean, southern women don't wrinkle. We just don't dry out enough to get any lines <laughs> on our faces. <laughs> southern women are gorgeous, for sure. <laughs> That's what I say. But but the thing is, I mean, I'm constantly kicking off my shoes, heading out to that backyard. I will ground myself yeah. underneath my yeah. pecan trees and just kind of gather my thought process. So, I guess what I'm saying is fine. On that too, Denise. There's actual research about taking off your shoes and, oh, and washing yeah? the dirt. Yes, there is. It's it's an actual grounding process with the earth that that can calm you and make you feel it better. It works for me. Yeah. yeah it absolutely. definitely works for me, and I'm constantly out there barefoot, which is difficult in the Deep South because that lawn has a lot of stuff in there that you can't oh see, God. like little stickers and little bugs. But and I don't alligators. care. You know, or whatever that has happened after hurricanes. You'll find them in people's yards. No joke. Um, but I wanted to ask you, we're running out of time again. You, and I've got so many questions. I hate to tell you, you may have to come back again another three or four oh, I don't think we're done here. So we've talked about daily practices, very important. And I really kind of wanted to go to the Internet, you know, because – Look, everybody's on the Internet. They're picking up information or what they think is good information on the Internet. And you say that you really need to have a not, not a policy but a strategy, um, ways to become, to show up in the media in a way that is true to you. 
I think is what you mean or what I took out of it. Yeah, I think, you know, um, we we really want to focus on what's unique about you, not just how you fill a gap when you, you know, we, we look to the media and we look, we look at like, where does your experience and expertise connect with what the media needs, what kind of trends, what's going on in the culture today, where do you fill a gap? But what we're really looking for is the uniqueness of you. We're really looking for how, how do you express your personality? How do you express your thoughts? How do you, um, you know, the, the, to be like the truest you and to really start to think about like, you know, there's so much about like using other people's models or using a preordained framework that people want to squish you into. But I think it's really about coming back to like what is original about you. And that's really what we're exploring, what we're always looking for when we're training, when I'm training someone in command presence or shifting out of imposter syndrome and into their own power is like really letting go of the inessential, what's not serving you. Like I was media training, um, Okay, I was at a workshop in Los Angeles in media training of a very successful woman who had a $30 million company and was a huge family. And she was like, and, and just starting to write a book. And um, she was in the, in the media training, she was, um, you know, being a little bit strident and wiggling her foot. And, and I said, um, you know, and everyone, we, we as a collective, we were saying, what does she do well and what does she want to shift? And of course, everybody noticed her shaking foot. And I said, um, in that, I mean, that's something that's super obvious. And I said, you know, you're, when you're shaking your foot like that or out of nervousness or whatever, um, it's, um, it's detracting. She goes, well, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? And I said, you can do anything that you want. I said, it's just a question of where do you want people to focus their attention for you? Do you want them to focus on the foot or do you want them to focus on who you are and what you're saying? And, and when we're bringing people's focus, both verbally and with our physicality, that's where we want to direct attention. And it's the same for media when you're getting out a message. Where do you consciously and very specifically want to direct people's attention? So we want to let go of anything that isn't serving us and that anything that's a distraction from that. So that could be something, you know, when people are nervous and under pressure, other things happen, Denise, that that, that doesn't happen in, in, in organic conversation when they're face-to-face with a friend, when they're under pressure. And what we want to look at is, like, is that serving you and your audience for what you want to accomplish, not just in this media interview, but also your bigger vision for who you want to become and what the work that you're doing in the world. And that's what I'm always looking for in a person. Is this distracting and detracting or is it complementing and adding to who you are as a person and, and how you're using your force for good um, in the, in the world. And that's really the important question. And, and anything that isn't that, you know, that's quirky or whatever, we, we keep it, even if it's, if it's quirky and original and, you know, the pacing of how you speak or whether it's like uh, Robert Reich. I love um, Robert Reich, who's the economist and is he Berkeley professor. And he like pops up and down when he's like on a newscast, like a little bobbing, you know, a little bobbin. And would I change that? No, because 
um, it's part of what draws your attention to him. You, you notice it? Yes. Is it slightly detracting? Well, it keeps bringing you back to him. And it's a little quirk of his. So if you have whatever that is for you, we want to keep that spark of originality. So that's fascinating. And when you were describing this, this lady and, you know, bobbing her foot around, I guess you, a lot of people would take that, oh, she's nervous. I immediately took it as, well, she's really irritable. So we see things differently. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could have been irritable, too, because she was very forceful. So that was just a way of channeling her energy. And I said, um, let's take the energy from your foot and bring it up to your face and, and expand that out to your audience because you obviously have a lot of energy. You know, I think she right. has five yeah so let's channel that energy we're not trying to suppress it we're like what how can we make best use of the energy that you have so some people that. like you and I are introverts so we're a little bit quieter but there are people yeah. who work with extroverts so they're louder and they're more expressive and and so work with that like work with your natural way whether it's quieter it's not we're not trying to make you louder it's like how to how to amplify the quietude, how to best use that for your purpose. And you have, I mean, you've worked with people all over the place, and you're the, to go, the go-to girl for getting people on Oprah. I mean, you know what you're talking about. So anybody who's listening to us, go find Susan now. Do it today. Don't do it later. Susan, where do people find you? They can find me at prsecrets.com, like public relations. And also, Denise, um, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but you can get um, a free download called Your Signature Story. It's how to five signature stories that you can create in five minutes. You can choose your your signature story because any interviewer is going to ask you, why do you do what you do? Why did you write your book? Why did you start your business? It answers that question. Your your signature story. And you can find that at prsecrets.com forward slash SIGPOD, S-I-G-P-O-D, like Signature Story Podcast, S-I-G-P-O-D. And so that and is I'm so, one. Go ahead. Oh, that's I was going to say, I'm so glad you brought that up because actually I've had a, a gentleman who's been trying to get on this podcast for about four or five years, and he's oh so frustrated that he cannot come on. He is just is not, he doesn't have his story. He doesn't have a call to action. He doesn't have, I gave him homework. I finally just said, I'm so sorry, but you're not ready. And I counseled with him a little bit. It sounds like I just pulled out my Bible, but I consulted with him. (laughs) And and I gave him homework, which I don't think he was expecting, but bless him. He wants to be on a podcast. And I said, listen, go to your signature story and then let's talk again. So, I mean, you're already helping people. He needs it. I mean, because I would ask him, well, what is your story? What do you want people to know? What, what do you want? How do you want them to take action? He had no clue. He just wanted to be on a podcast, specifically mine. And I said, listen, I would love to see you on people's podcasts, but not in the shape you're in. I'm not known well, for tactical diplomacy, but you know this. Yeah, because sometimes people do say, like they, they approach me and say they, you know, they, they want to be famous or they want to be on TV, but it's like we really hearken back to, like, what's your deepest intention? How do you want to serve? And, 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 and what do you have to offer that 
people need and want that isn't available elsewhere. I mean, we, we have to, those things need to connect, right, in order for someone to be on your podcast or be on any podcast for that matter or any media. It's like, the, the, how, are you, how are you serving the audience? Not That's just yourself. it. Right, right. And he didn't know, but once we had those conversations, and he hasn't gotten in touch with me about the results of, of um, you know, taking your, you know, working on your signature story. So I can't wait to see what he's got to say because, I mean, bless him, he kept trying. He just kept trying. And no matter how many times I told him no, and I don't often have to say no. And I felt horrible. And I said, listen, I can't just keep telling you no without explaining how you could maybe make this work. So it's it's been an interesting process. Well, that's very kind of you too to 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 take to take that upon yourself for someone who doesn't even they just want to be on a podcast because they want to hear themselves talk. I mean, that's not going to be very valuable to your audience, right? Like that's no. what you you're all about like bringing mentorship to yourself and to your audience so they can they can enjoy and keep coming back to listen to all of your fascinating guests and you and your fascinating questions and who you choose to be on here. So, um, so I hope he takes your advice. I think he has been, he's been pretty good about it and staying in touch. I mean, he's, we did a free consult and I've never charged him a penny to do this because he needs the help. He wants to help. He's accepting the help. That's good enough for me. That's all I need to know. But Susan, and I'll, I'll keep you posted, and you are coming back, right? Because we're, we're never going to – this is going to be an ongoing conversation forever, <laughs> all the different things that, that we have to discuss. But before I let you go, um, do you have anything else that you really want to share with the audience? I think, um, I think the one thing that I want to share is the, another thing from Aikido, which is called Steal the Technique in um, – or maybe actually another, yes, I think it's steal the technique. And when you see something that you admire in another person, we call it steal the technique in Aikido, which is um, you want to take what the other person has that you don't yet have in your Aikido vocabulary. And that's like when I see something that someone, that I admire in someone, how to make it my own, but I then how to work toward um, making that quality or that skill or that knowledge, my own, instead of bemoaning what, what I don't have that I don't have it. It's more, how can I, um, you know, I have a goal of reading all of the classics. How can I, you know, read all of the classics and move them into my <laughs> more, you know, when, or when people are, you know, have this great um, command of scientific studies. Those are things that I want more of. So how can I do that? So I, you know, asked my assistant to pull up more statistics about scientific studies, about um, media training and what happens in the brain and storytelling so I can be more conversant with those things that I've admired in other people. So it's called seal the technique and how do you then begin to embody that yourself? So instead of being jealous, say, how can I, how can I move toward or how can I start to gain that quality or that way of being, whatever that is, that skill, that knowledge, that that uh, kindness, that beauty, what, whatever that grace, whatever that is, and start to incorporate that into this year's quote-unquote resolutions. 
There you go. I wrote down when you said gain, I wrote down not mimic. Don't do that. People try it. They do it all the time. You find it in yourself and then just enhance what you probably already know or already have but haven't really paid any attention to. And I have to ask before we go, what are you reading right now? Because I love the classics. I started reading when I was three. Oh, my gosh. Three years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have on my list that I haven't started yet, but my, my BFF, his, one of his favorite is Dickens. So I really want to start. I just saw that Dickens quote, you know, about the best of times, the worst of times. I think it's Tale of Two Cities. I'm going to start with that because I'm also, you know, engrossed. I'm reading these um, mysteries that are set in by, um, what's his name? Martin. Oh, my God. I can't remember his name, but I'm set, I'm reading these mysteries that are set in um, an area of France that are really fascinating because one of the things that I really love about it is I'm learning more about history, um, which I didn't like about the French Revolution and, and all of that, which I didn't really know. But um, one of the things where when I lived in Paris for a couple of years, um, it's it, it, when I lived in Paris for a couple of years, the family that I lived with were instrumental in rescuing Jews um, through the underground resistance. And that was something that I learned about from, oh gosh, a librarian, you know, who told me when I had to sign in under their name, it was Ari Irshmarie. And she goes, is that Irshmarie's? And I'm like, yes, she goes, he is a famous, you know, he is, he is so famous for, you know, the, the revolution. And I'm like, what? Yes, he has rescued so many people, and he has he was a famous enzyme doctor, and he's he's renowned as a. I mean, I didn't even know any of this about the family that I lived with. He was a famous enzyme doctor, but they also were famous. He and his wife for rescuing people in the in the you know during the war, and so um, so that's another reason why I read too. Where you know, even though it's a murder mystery. <laughs> It's the Bruno Chief of Police novels. I'm learning so much about um, the sort of the history of France and Germany and, and the U.S. too. So I'm, I'm looking to the classics for the same kind of, you know, just knowledge of it's a slower time and a and a and, and you know rich in detail. So those books are a lot slower than the ones that we're reading today um but they but i think the core of those universal stories are the human emotions and that people don't change like that's what i love about right. the classics and, and what um you know why i love like dostoevsky and, and whatever it's it's really um this kind of wild psychological journey um into people and i think that's what really interests me like the psychology of people and i think we see that uh, not necessarily more in the classics, but I think there was um, maybe more of a deta- more detailed emphasis of it in that time than we do now. Now we're a little more plot, plot and movie. Right. Yeah. We need to start a book club. I'm reading all the kinds of Ooh. things that you are. And I love to, listen, I had to be talked into having a Kim, Kindle app because I love books. I've got over 3,000 books, physical oh books. God. Physical and books? I'm not, 
physical books, and I'm not giving them up. I've got something like 8,000 books in my my Kindle. I am a voracious reader. I will, honest to goodness, forget how to turn the TV on. And when I was on a podcast a few a month or two ago, I could not remember we were talking about this. I think it was with Will, uh, your friend Will. I cannot come up with the name for that little clicker thingy, the remote control. I had no idea. I just had a brain fart right in the middle of my podcast. It's like I don't even know where it is half the time. I just don't watch much TV or movies. Books, oh, my God, give me a book. But I love everything that you're talking about. But what I started to say, and we will end this, I promise, about the Kindle is that I can, I'll find a, you know, a place. Or I'll find a sentence and I can, you know, work around the sentence structure and figure out what <clears throat> that word means. But what does it really mean? I mean, I highlight it. I go search for it. Like, oh, I'm constantly learning when I'm reading. And like you, I love, I love older, it. older types of oh, books. Oh, and you have that on your Kindle app, right? Like you can, you can go look up words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so constantly and. If I do happen to have the television on, which is rare, I'll be honest, and something will happen, I'll go, oh, oh, and I'll, I'll pause it and I'll grab my iPad and go look it up. Like, who is that actor? What, what, what are they talking about? I'm const- I'm very curious. I want to know, what did that mean? What is this all about? Is that a word I need to know? Mm-hmm. You know curiosity is one of the most important yeah. things that we can be is curious. I, I I think that's a wonderful quality, and you and I share that together, Denise, that we're highly curious people. I mean, you're, you, you experience it by doing all these people, right? You're curious about all these different topics and everything, and it's yeah. so fascinating. And I'm with you. So it's Martin Walker who wrote uh, the Bruno Chief of Police um, series, and it's, you know, a super smart boot. So you might enjoy it. I'm curious if you – I wrote it down. I'm going to go yeah. blind. I love mysteries, yes. and you know, I started when I was a kid. I know, I know. I've got a list for you. Remind me to send you a list of some of my favorite authors. I think Ooh. you'll you'll find a lot of them great. Listen, I am going to let you go. We've run about thirteen minutes over. Thank you. We're still recording, so people will be able to hear us keep on chattering. But anyway, Susan, thank you for coming back for the first of the year for giving me more mentorship. And I know that's not why you're coming on, but you always mentor me. And it has been wonderful speaking with you. And I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice that you've shared with our audience. And thank you for me too, Denise. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Talk soon. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, wherever you consume your business podcast, we're there. You literally cannot throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Thank you again. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 